Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. I'm funny whether I weigh 180 or 480. I'm just funny. 480 and 180 would both be equally sad, though. One, I'd be a twig <laughs> and one, I'd be like, what the hell happened to you? <laughs> This is Death, Sex, and Money. Let's do this! I only have 60 bucks. How much you got? The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Why would our marriage be over? He said we need to talk. And need to talk about more. I don't want to survive! I want to live! I'm Anna Sale. Jeff Garland is best known for playing Larry David's manager on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Boom! She was there. You can't control who pops in. She pops in. She pops in. Well, why don't you pop her out? I tried popping her out. She wouldn't pop out. Well, she insisted on staying. He also stars in the ABC sitcom The Goldbergs and just released a Netflix movie called Handsome. He's been so busy recently that when we talked, he'd almost completely lost his voice. Can I get some hot water? I was in California. He was at our studio in New York. If you have lemon, great. But if not, just give me hot water, too. Okay, cool, man. Jeff knows how to deal with vocal strain. He's been talking on stage since the 80s, when he started doing stand-up. It's a real important thing, comedy, to make us human and help deal with pain. Hmm. Life throws a lot of pain at people, and my job is to ease people's pain. That's my job. Comedy has helped Jeff deal with his own pain, quite literally. In 2000, right after he shot the pilot for what would become Curb Your Enthusiasm... He had a stroke. He was 37 years old with a young son and one more on the way. It's funny. I was sleeping in my son James' room. Maybe I had a show the night before, and I came home late. James was sleeping with his mother. And I remember the dream I had. I was having this dream about being on a spaceship, and my job was to take care of the plants that were on the wings of the spaceship. And I walked out. I was out there, not even in a spacesuit, watering the plants <laughs> on this thing. I, I remember it so clearly. And then I woke up, and I was nauseous, and the room was spinning. And I go to the hospital, and they take a, they examine me, and they say, you're having a stroke. Um, I mean, I wasn't, I, I was afraid of dying at the beginning. But then when I stayed in the hospital, you know, a few days in and things are starting to even out, I'm talking with a slur 
Mm-hmm. I can barely walk, and I thought I'd never do comedy again. It's over. I didn't like feel sorry for myself, but I was like lost. Like, what is this? I used a golf club for a, um, you know, like a cane because I uh-huh. thought it was funnier. Uh-huh. You know, I thought I'm a comedian. <laughs> Not that I played golf even, but I had a golf club. Jeff used that golf club as a prop on the Curb Your Enthusiasm set. He went back to work just a few weeks after his stroke. He considered it his rehab. By the end of the season, I was pretty much good to go. But the journey, if you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm now, if you've seen me lately, if you watch any of my movies, anything, and then go back and watch the first season of Curb, you will see an ill man, a sick man. I was... Very strokey, as I like to say. Before your stroke, was your health something that you thought about or not so much? Well, yes, yes, but no, meaning what led to my stroke was I'd gotten in a car accident, but I was really fat when I got in the car accident. Um, And I was stressed and I was taking all these meds. I developed uh, type 2 diabetes. Mm. So, and then, by the way, Curb, I actually ended up gaining weight. You know, eat, I was just, it was full of anxiety. I ended up, I was up to 320 pounds. I weigh about 260 now. But it was really, and I'm working on getting down to about 230, 240, and then I'll be good. But, man, um, I didn't take my health seriously. I was arrogant. I was, you know, I was just arrogant. That's all. Over the years, Jeff has tried a lot of things to change his relationship to food including Transcendental Meditation and going to meetings of Overeaters Anonymous. It's so strange as compared to the other addictions like cocaine, alcohol, what have you, because you don't have to have those to function. Uh, You think you do, but you don't. Whereas food, I have to keep myself nourished. So every day you're faced with these choices and they're, they're, they're quite difficult. I mean, it's a challenge every single day. You really have to live it moment to moment. How has thinking about food as an addiction for you, how has that been helpful? Well, the addiction part is great because then when I'm sober, i.e., for me, sobriety So you say means, sober. You use that you term. Know, most definitely for me, it's sobriety. It's sober. If I approach it like sobriety, it helps me be successful. If I don't approach it like sobriety... I am doomed to failure. Have you had instances where you feel like you've, like, fallen off the wagon? I went, okay, so dig this. So, you know, I went almost seven years without eating any sugar. And the thing you don't know about addicts is that it's not just bad things in life that you don't want to feel that cause you to want to eat a cookie or drink. It's celebrational things Mm -hmm. too, positive things. Anything with a feeling brings about wanting to eat. Mm. That's why I always say I I eat Pop-Tarts raw because I don't have time to toast them. I need to shove down my feelings. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so I remember this really clearly. My older boy, James, was was guesting on the Goldbergs. He was playing a kid in high school who was very similar to me. It was just a storyline, you know. Mm-hmm. And the day he's shooting, um, I was so happy, so happy. Like one of the happiest days of my life. 
and I'm over at the craft service, you know, all the food they serve the crew. And without even thinking, I ate a cookie. And I didn't even realize I'd done it until I was done. Well, I thought, well, I guess I can control this. An hour later, I had ice cream. Then I had more cookies. And then I've really been stumbling ever since. I've had a month, a month and a half. But you've actually caught me right now. I'm currently sober. How long have you been sober this stint, this current stint? Two days. Two days. Yeah, I'm in New York, man. (laughs) There's stuff here that's shoved in my face. Whether I want it or not, it's New York. New York's the most delightful place to eat in the world. Are you kidding me? So, yeah, a couple days. Actually, not even a day. A day. Not even, probably hours. I don't know. But I am. As I speak to you, I'm sober. Coming up. Jeff Garland on building his comedy career while building a family. He started by marrying his agent. She likes to joke that she got more than 10%. (laughs) (laughs) It's August. The beginning of school is right around the corner. And after our student loan episodes, so many of you told us that you wish you could tell your younger self what signing up for loans was going to mean for you years later. For me, there's a lot I wish I knew when I was just out of high school. So we're going to make a podcast playlist that'll be a toolkit for life after 18. And we need your help. Send us your suggestions for podcast episodes that contain some wisdom for the first years of adulthood. It can be a death, sex, and money episode or from anywhere else. And we're going to build this playlist in a new way, by text. If you're in the U.S., text the word EPISODE to the number 70101. That's EPISODE to 70101. We'll respond, and you can tell us your suggestion for our Welcome to Adulthood playlist right from there. If you're outside the U.S., tell us your suggestion at deathsexmoney.org slash adulthood. There's a link right in the show notes, too. My suggestion is the recent series from The Heart called No. It's about consent and sex and the long process for young women to learn that they can say no. Again, text the word EPISODE to 70101 or go to deathsexmoney.org slash adulthood. We'll circulate the playlist later this summer. Think of it as an orientation packet for young adulthood that you can hang on to long after you've lost all the other paperwork. On the next episode, we hear from a widow in her mid-30s who talks about the awkwardness and isolation that comes with losing a partner so young. When somebody dies, people are definitely, like, they they do not know how to, like, talk to you about it, um, which I think is totally universal and completely real, like, normal. Like, I have, I have been on the other side of it where, like, somebody's been like, so-and-so died, and I'm like, oh, I don't know how to respond, even though this just happened to me. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure 
how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Growing up in the Chicago suburbs, Jeff Garland was never a great student. He struggled with undiagnosed ADD and mostly focused on cracking himself up. When I was little, I said things like girdle, said Jamaica, brazier. Like, those were words I thought were funny. (laughs) Girdle? It's true. Yeah, girdle. (laughs) It's totally true. I'm talking about like a four-year-old, five-year-old, but yeah. From preschool on, I was the funniest kid in school, and I took great pride in that. But I frustrated my dad, you know, because I was a different kind of kid. So you were sort of like, when you say you were a different kind of kid, what do you mean? My dad was very much on the straight and narrow. He worked in law, and um, he, uh, uh, you know, he was very much by the book. Hmm. How is having ADD helped your comedy? It forces me to be in the moment, and it forces me to, that's about it. It forces me to be in the moment. You know, here's the thing. When I sit in quiet moments, like, you know, and just stare at the stars, you know, or I meditate, nothing pops in my head of looking back on my life. How's this? How that? So when you ask me these things, it might be the first time I'm ever considering it. So I may a week from now go, oh, here's what ADD (laughs) did for me. But right now, the only thing I can think is to function having attention deficit disorder, one of the things you need to be is totally present in what's going on. It helps you focus. So that is what has helped me. When you were starting your comedy career and you're in your 20s, were you worried about money when you were starting out? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know that I was necessarily laying around worried about it, but I didn't have it. I remember once in Chicago, I had to walk about five miles because that's where the wiring place was. I hadn't eaten, and I'm walking through the bitter cold in the snow to get money. God bless my dad. Do you remember why you asked at that moment? I was broke. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I really hadn't eaten. I hadn't eaten for about a a day, and I had no money. I'm not too proud to call my father, who I know loves me, who I know doesn't want me to starve, and go, hey, man, I'm not getting money for a couple days. Can you send me some? And the only thing that was hard about that, knowing that he didn't have much money, Mm. but he sent it. My dad. Jeff's dad got to watch his investment pay off as Jeff got famous. Then he got ill with lymphoma. He died in 2011. I lost him young. He was only uh, uh, 70s, early 70s. You know, it's like um, it happens. That's part of the festival, man. It's temporary. It's all temporary. Like my dad's death wasn't shocking. 
It was a, a loss, a, a hole that I'll never be able to fill. It wasn't shocking. When you think about that process of losing your father, are there things that you left unsaid that you look back and wish you had said? God, no. I, um, at all times, told him how much I loved him. He told him how much he loved me. There was great affection, great honesty. Nope, nothing. Did his did his decline change your relationship at all? Um, well, it became softer, you know. Um, it became quieter. But the only difficult thing is when people who are dying, he died of cancer, they hit that point of where they are done. That's it. Mm -hmm. They're done. They fought the fight. They're done. And that process from that moment through hospice is way too long, Mm -hmm. way too long. And I'm not saying he suffered, but it was over. And so that dragged out. So after he was pretty much, I'm done, there's another, it was another month. And then it got to a point where he really couldn't have a conversation. So it was all, that was the sadness of it. In your family now, is your youngest son about to finish high school? Yeah, he's going he's going to be going into his senior year next year, yeah. yeah. So so how are you feeling as a parent right now with your with your two boys approaching being out of the house? Well, my 21-year-old still lives at home too, uh which I'm different than my wife. I want them to live with me forever. <laughs> I I want them to be next to me forever. They let me kiss them as much as I want and I squeeze them and I'm I'm there for them. What I've done in terms of discipline is just show them respect. That way, if they're not respectful, they feel it on their own. It's delightful. Um, And in terms of how old they are, I remember when they were little, they used to say, you know, can't you just stay this big? You know, as a joke. But, man, it gets better every year, and I just, I dig them so much. And I don't really think about I just think about where they're at now. I don't think about, oh, time's past or any of that stuff. I don't like overthinking. Yeah. You have been married now for more than 20 years. What do you, what do you get out of your marriage now that, you, that, that wasn't part of your marriage when you were first married? Hmm. Well, my, I, I'm sharing time with a woman that's more soulful and more intelligent. Um, and I started life with someone who had those qualities, but has worked her life to develop them. So it's who you share with. And also she and I share two children that we adore. And that brings upon all these feelings. I mean, that fills me like nothing else has ever filled me. So we share those things and that's makes it almost completely different than when I first got married. Yeah. How is sex in your 50s different than sex in your 40s? Wow. See, um, I'm hesitating because I don't have much sex. <laughs> 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 and I didn't in my 40s either. 
To me, sex is so magical and so special. And so there is nothing greater than sex, including when I'm, you know, comedians will argue with me. When you're killing on stage, it's pretty close to sex. But sex is the one thing more than any others that makes you feel human. Human, man. So I feel human in other ways. I'm not saying... Uh, I, I have a sexless house or anything like that. It's just as many people do as they all are older and married. It just, it doesn't happen for children, whatever it is, you know? And what you want in a marriage, I think, is to be present. See, I think, this is me personally, I think the key to marriage is being present every day. Just be present. Just look the other person in the eye and go, man, I dig you. I'm really happy to be sharing this experience with you. And that, to me, makes marriage worth it. And then, you know, have sex once a week. Uh, Have you got time for more? Fantastic. But, you know, once a week. And by the way, don't even have sex. Just stand naked together and have a conversation. Dance naked. Be vulnerable. Be intimate, you know? And I'm not talking this like a marriage coach. I'm just saying these are my impressions of marriage. Do you have any questions for me? Okay. Um, what are you wearing? What am I wearing? I'm wearing a button-down shirt with polka dots on it, green shirt with navy blue polka dots. And do you feel good about how you look? I feel okay. I, I, I'm, I have, I'm dealing with post-baby body changes. Well, let me just say something to you something about that. Just wear it like a badge of honor. I'm going to tell you something. We talked about all these things that I'll tell you. This is specifically for you. Okay. Be kind to yourself. You always hear people say that. But really, be nice to yourself because the world is not out to make you feel better or be nice to you. It can sometimes. But in general, you're in charge of being nice to yourself. Every morning when I, when I get up, I look in the mirror and I smile at myself because I look ridiculous first thing in the morning. <laughs> well, that smile makes me laugh and then I set the tone for the day. That's Jeff Garland. Look out for him in Curb Your Enthusiasm's ninth season, which is coming to HBO this fall. His new Netflix movie, Handsome, is available now. Jeff's character is named Gene, which was his father's name. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. I'm based at the Center for Investigative Reporting in Emeryville, California. Our team includes Katie Bishop, Emily Botine, and Andrew Dunn. Thanks to Stephanie Joyce for her help with this episode. Our interns are Mankapur Conte and Kent McDonald. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death Sex Money. And if you're in LA on August 12th, come out for a live episode taping at the Annenberg Space for Photography. Details are on our Facebook page. And while you're online, why not head over and give our podcast a review? We love reviews, and it really helps other people find our show. Jeff still does stand up regularly in L.A., 
And much like his approach to the rest of life, he doesn't like to overthink it. You know, I'd have to say at least 50% of the time, there's nothing in my head except the thought, oh, I'm walking to the stage. Oh, I'm standing on the stage. Oh, I have a microphone. And then I just start talking. So quite often, there's nothing prepared. Zero. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. WNYC.